Well, this morning we are going to wrap up this series we've been in for five weeks called Gods at War. And I just want to let you know that much of the material that I have covered during this series has been from Kyle Outerman's book, Gods at War. Somebody asked me last week, is that from a book? Yes, it's from a book. And if there's some things that uh, you'd like to explore a little bit deeper or some things we didn't get to, it's a fantastic book. I'd encourage you to uh, pick it up. This morning we're going to wrap up by talking about gods of pleasure. And if you had a seatbelt on your chair, I would tell you to strap in right now, because this morning we are going to talk about the gods of entertainment, food, and sex. Are you going to stay? Well, I want us to pray this morning before we start, because I I really believe that um, the Lord has something that He wants to say to us this morning, and I want to ask you to pray two things as we pray. I want you to ask you to pray for me that the Lord will speak through me this morning, and I want to ask you to pray for you, that whatever God would open your heart to today, that you would receive it. We've talked about a lot of things this morning. We've sang about victory, and I believe that there are some things in our lives today that through the Word we can overcome through what I believe the Lord wants to say to us this morning. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for the opportunity to speak your Word. I pray that you would anoint me to speak what you've led me to this morning. And I pray you would anoint your people today to hear your word. I pray that it will find deep root in their hearts. I pray that the arrow of your word will hit the bullseye in every person's soul today to receive what you want to say to them. In Jesus' name, amen. The gods of pleasure often begin as good gifts. They're gifts that God gives us because He loves us. Whether it might be the gift of sex, the gift of food, or the gift of entertainment. All of these are things that God has gifted us with because He loves us. The problem comes when we elevate these and we just run after pleasure in our lives. And that pleasure becomes the driving, motivating force for getting up in the morning and going to work or going to school. That that is what our time, our money, and our talents and our relationships surround the pursuit of pleasure. And when we find ourselves in a place where we are bowing down and worshiping the God of pleasure rather than the God who gave us these gifts... We find ourselves in a place where we're not really pleasing God with what we have on the throne of our heart. As I've used over the last few weeks, these stools today are going to represent the throne of your heart. And we're going to talk about these three things and decide and kind of hear, do I have any of these things sitting on the throne of, our, of my heart? So let's start this morning with the God of entertainment, okay? Now... How many of you do you think that you could be entertained if you had to unplug from all electronics in your life? Do you think you could still find entertainment? If you had to get away from your TV and your smartphone and your video games and movies and and all of that, if you had to totally unplug, do you think you could still be entertained? Well, for a lot of us who have had those things in our lives our entire life, that would be quite a a challenge. But if we look around 
in our world and around us, we will see that God has given us many things to entertain us. Maybe we don't think about it like entertainment, but think about the beach and the mountains and going out at night and looking at the stars. Those things can be things that we enjoy that are entertainment. What about our pets? Any, any pet people who are entertained by your pets? I know you're out there. All right. What about the weather? We've had a beautiful week this last week, and the weather provides us opportunities just to enjoy life outside, to be entertained in the winter. It's nice to go somewhere where there's snow and make a snowman and throw a snowball, and that's natural entertainment that God has blessed us with. Our family and friends provide entertainment. It's always enjoyable to sit around with the TV off. And the phone's off and just enjoy family and friends and talking and sharing and laughing. Anybody enjoy that? What about babies and kids? Boy, they're entertaining, aren't they? I mean, just write it down. You'll laugh for years about the things that babies and kids say. They provide incredible amount of entertainment. Well, all of that reveals to us that God is a God of joy And that He has put things in our lives for our entertainment. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, He richly provides everything for our enjoyment. So what do we do with TV, cell phones, smartphones, video games, movies, entertainment? Can entertainment be rest for the mind and the emotions? Absolutely. It sure can. Sometimes you just like to cut on the TV and sit back and check out, right? But the problem comes when we try to worship the gods of pleasure rather than the God who gave them to us. That, when that happens, we take something like entertainment instead of allowing God to sit on the throne of our heart. There's ways that we can put entertainment there and allow entertainment to sit at the throne of our heart. So the question comes today... How should I view and engage with entertainment? Well, the Scripture gives us a great example. In the Old Testament, one of the, one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament is King Solomon. And Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes that basically is a journal of his uh, desire and pursuit to look for entertainment. He pursued entertainment relentlessly. He looked for pleasure everywhere. And if you open up Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1, you would see this verse. He said, I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure and find out what is good. Now, King Solomon was the most rich man on the planet at the time, so he had the resources to put all of his money and energy to find every source that he could get for entertainment. So he begins with laughter, and he hires a court gesture. Maybe he hires the Jerry Seinfeld of his day to come into the king's court and try to entertain him and make him laugh, and that doesn't fill him up. And then he pursues partying and he realizes that it's meaningless and there's no lasting joy in partying. And then he entertains himself by taking on great projects. He builds vineyards and farms and creates parks and houses. He's a man of many disciplines and interests and he's trying to find which one will fill his soul and fill the void that's in his soul. 
Now he's got the luxury of all this experimentation because he's rich. He's got all the money in the world to spend on all the resources in the world to see which is the thing that's going to fill my life. He even hires a harem of women. He has just, not just one wife, but multiple wives and, and concubines and a harem. He hires uh, singers and choirs and bands to come in, but it just doesn't seem to work. Women from every nation, food from every culture, Books from wisdom, on wisdom from every civilization. He covers all the bases and is determined to find pleasure if it kills him. But what does he say in the first verse of the first chapter of Ecclesiastes? He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is Meaningless. Do you think he thought it was meaningless? He used that word a lot, didn't he? Nothing particularly was wrong with all the entertainment that he was uh, participating in, except for all the women, right? I mean, definitely he got way out of bounds of what God would have him have with multiple wives and all the concubines. He was crazy, if you ask me. I mean, he just, he was taking on way too much, but it necessarily wasn't that. So what was his problem? Solomon was trying to make it something it wasn't. He was looking for meaning of life in amusement. He was taking something that should have been a sideshow and making it the main event in his life. And at the end, in, in Ecclesiastes 1.14, he says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless a chasing after the wind. How many of you have ever used that term in your life and said, well, this is just like chasing after the wind? No hands. That's not a term that we use very much. But I can, I can guess today that some of the things that you have going on in your life are like chasing after the wind. Now follow me with this. How many have ever been here? Sitting back in your chair at home. You're going through all the hundreds of television stations that you have. And what do you say? You say, there's nothing on. Right? That's kind of like a chasing after the wind. Okay? What about somebody who plays video games? Right? Kids and teenagers and young adults, they'll spend hours playing video games. They only get up to use a restroom and get another energy drink. And they finish that game and then they want the next one, right? That's a little bit like chasing after the wind, okay? Let me tell you what my chasing after the wind is. It's when I get me some football food, like I like to call it, and get it like I like it. And I carve out three hours and tonight I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch the Patriots and the Falcons. That's my plan for tonight. And I'll sit there and watch that game. Now if it was my team, the Panthers, all right, those three hours... When it's over, I have yelled more and screamed more and threw more. Thank you for y'all nodding your head. Um, just pray for me. Just put your hand this way. And, and, and when it's over, I am more frustrated. My blood pressure's up. I'm like, good night. And my wife's sitting there just saying, who in the world did I marry? You know? It's kind of like a chasing after the wind because I think that was three hours. Was that really worth it? What about time spent on social media? 
Oh, I thought I'd get a ooh right there. Man, this is new just in the last 10 years or so. We, we really needed something else in America to, to take our minds and our time, didn't he? John Piper, who's, a, who's an American preacher and author and pastor, said this, One of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness, prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Guess where he posted that? On Twitter. But it's very true. We have a new term in our, in our culture now. It's called binge watching. Anybody know what binge watching is? It's if you've got Netflix or Hulu, you can go on there and you can watch an entire t- television series in one weekend. And you know what? People who do that, you know what they do? On Monday, they're on social media saying, I finished this great series. What's the next series I can watch? Kind of like a chasing after the wind. And it's funny because we've got all these forms of entertainment, but do you think about it that we wind up being more bored than we've ever been before, or even worse, we're frustrated Sounds a lot like the way Solomon felt. He pursued pleasure and he came to that conclusion. I've seen all the things under the sun and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. C.S. Lewis has a quote I want to share with you that I think says it well and, and kind of describes how we may be trying to put something in place in our souls that's only meant for God. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself... A desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, does that not prove that the universe is a fraud? Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And ultimately, the God of entertainment cannot satisfy our desires. So Solomon reaches this conclusion at the end of the story. He says, that's the whole story. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. We are made for God. And until He is our greatest pleasure, every other pleasure will help us and make us feel empty. Augustine expressed it in his prayer nearly 15 centuries ago when he said, Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. So how do we smash these idols? How do we push them off the throne of our heart? Well, often it's as easy as hitting the power button. Can I just challenge you, and I'll throw it back at me too, and challenge me that sometimes... Maybe more than we would admit, we need to cut the TV off, we need to cut the phone off, we need to put the video game away. We just need to cut those things off and get quiet and see if maybe in those moments we can turn our eyes toward God. So all throughout this series, every step along the way, I've given you questions. I've said, okay, let me give you a question to think about. In regards to this. So here's some questions to think about and consider. Is the, is the God of entertainment sitting on the throne of your heart? Number one. Do you seek to fill the spiritual vacuum inside of you with empty entertainment? Or is the empty entertainment it's creating the vacuum? It's kind of like the chicken and the egg thing. Okay. Number two. What forms of entertainment have most affected your worldview? Does the movies you watch, 
the social media that you're on, does it affect how you view the world or does this affect how you view the world? That's what that question means. What is creating your worldview? Are you seeing it through this or are you seeing it through this? Here's the third question. Where and when have you exhibited the most passion and excitement? Do you get more excited for the new Marvel movie that's coming out than you do on Sunday morning? Were you more excited yesterday cheering on your football team than you did this morning during worship? I'll leave that there and back off and go to the next question. Number four, what kinds of entertainment media have you found to be the most addictive? Right now as you're sitting here, what are you thinking about? Man, that area in my life kind of has me chained on the throne I'm kind of addicted to that. I don't, I don't know that I could break away. If, if you really said, i got to give that up, I don't know that I can. Think about that. Those things are things to consider and see, is the God of entertainment sitting on the throne of your heart? Now, I am hitting you with a ton of stuff this morning. I see some of you trying to write it down and take pictures of the screen. And, and good luck, because we're flying this morning. Here's the good news. i got a sheet right here. It's back there. And I should have said that earlier. On the little table as you go out, that's got my notes. And I'm going to have these notes online tomorrow. So sometimes some people say, you talk too fast, I can't get all the scriptures. I can't breathe, I talk too fast. So it's there if you want it. I'll have it online tomorrow on the website if you want. If you want to go back and look at these questions and these scriptures. Okay, God of entertainment. All right, y'all ready to talk about food? Tighten her up. Here we go. Now, there's a movie that we used to watch, uh, an animated movie that, that me and Tressa and Trent and Jaden brought used to enjoy when the kids were little called Over the Hedge. Does anybody remember this movie? And the movie Over the Hedge, it's about these animals who, who figure out that if they hang around the homes of human beings, they have a, an incredible source of food all the time. So the leader is a raccoon. It would be a raccoon, right? I mean, they wrote that right. It's a raccoon named RJ, and he brings all the animals around, and he preaches this sermon to them. He says, we eat to live. These guys live to eat. He says, you know what you call the human mouth? It's called a pie hole. You know what the human being is called? They're called a couch potato. He looks at him and says, there is a device in their house that they can pick up and dial and they will bring food to the house. It's, it's pretty funny. He says humans, humans ship the food, bring the food, summon the food, drive the food, 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 food. He brings the animals to the window, looks in the kitchen, points at the kitchen table and says, that's the altar where they worship the food. Then he goes to another window and points in and says, at the treadmill, and that's where they get rid of the guilt for all the food. <laughs> if you've never seen it, it's a hilarious little cartoon movie. But he makes a really good point, and the statistics prove it. Americans spend 110 b -b 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 billion, B, $110 billion every year on fast food. That is more than all of this stuff we were just talking about. Books, movies, TV, music combined. 68% of Americans are overweight. One third are considered obese. At least you think if you're skinny today you get off the hook. Sorry. There's people who have great metabolisms and look like they're fit, but they are addicted to the God of food. 
At least you think you eat healthy and go to the gym all the time and you get off the hook. Well, guess what? You're upside down in your addiction to the God of food. You're worshiping the God of vanity, which is the God of self, which says, I want to just make myself look perfect and I'm worshiping the God of self and I'm taking my selfies in the mirror and at the gym and posting those. You can't tell me that that's not worshiping a God that's not that God. So it's not necessarily about how much you're eating. Now the thing is, is in Scripture, food is always a gift from heaven. I mean, from the very beginning, God gave Adam and Eve the bounty. He gave them food and all kinds of food, everything to eat. And clearly, God wanted to give us food for it to be a joyful thing and us to enjoy it. Oh my goodness, I thought I'd hear the paint peel off the wall with an amen right there. Come on. Now, God could have given us a stick or a root that, it w- that would have worked for all of our nourishment, right? Could, could God have done that and said, here's a stick. Eat this stick every day. It'll give you all the nourishment and strength that you need. But God put hundreds of taste buds in our mouth. And He connected them to chemicals in our brain. So that when we dig into a big old Oreo blizzard, I think Brad's going to take a lap right now. When you dig into an Oreo blizzard, your mind's just going nuts. God created that. Anybody ever heard of the organization PETA? You know what PETA stands for, don't you? People eating tasty animals. God created tasty animals. Can I get a witness? For us to eat. It is in the Scripture. Look at it. I'm not sure if I believe this, brother. Look. Ecclesiastes 9, 7. Go, eat your food with gladness. Oh, my goodness. I tell you what. I'm feeling it in here this morning. The problem is, you knew there was a problem, didn't you? Every gift, any gift that God gives us, any gift can be twisted into a lure that he uses, that the enemy uses to pull us away from God. It's not idolatry to enjoy a great meal. The problem is when we start to look to food to do for us in our lives what only God can do. Now, how does that happen? Well, let's, let's think about it. You come home from work one day. You've had a disappointing day. It's on the job or with the kids or whatever. And you're down and you're feeling depressed. And so you go and you take out a whole bag of Oreos or a whole bucket of, of ice cream. Or you eat a whole bag of potato chips in one sitting. What do we call that kind of food? We have a name for it. It's called what? Comfort food. Now, what did Jesus say was one of the names of the Holy Spirit. He would be the comforter. Can I tell you that God wants to be in that place where we sometimes put food to be our comfort and our joy and our sense of completeness. And when we're down and when we're out and we just want to you know, just, just consume all this food to give us a, a high to make us feel better, God wants to be in that place through the Holy Spirit To be there to wrap His arms around us and love us. He wants to bring us satisfaction, not a Snickers bar. So, is it really that important, Les? Is is there really a battle between food and God? Well, yes. And it's in Scripture. 
In John chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus. He has just fed the 5,000. Actually, it probably was more like 15,000 because it was 5,000 plus the men and the, plus the women and the children. And so he fed them with five loaves and two fish. The scripture says they all ate till they were full. They had 12 basketfuls left over. Jesus performed this incredible miracle. Everybody on the mountainside saw it as dining out. Jesus saw it as an object lesson. And if you read John chapter 6 from beginning to end, you'll see all these points in the story where Jesus is trying to teach them something. He wanted the people to hunger and thirst for righteousness the same way that they hungered and thirsted for food. He was trying to get them to see what he had taught in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Is life not more than food? Now where did Jesus go at the beginning of his ministry? Forty days, forty nights into the desert and he did what? He fasted. He got away from food so food wouldn't get in the way of him hearing from God. And what he had learned, and this is, this is one of the things I love about Jesus, is there are clear examples in the Scripture that show us how Jesus was completely human. How he was just like you and me in the flesh. Jesus had to push away that flesh side of him that wanted to eat in order to hear from God. And Jesus had experienced that in the flesh... And so he wanted everybody else to get what he had learned in the flesh. And that was that we can, food can do some things for us, but it can't fill us up the way a relationship with God can. So Jesus wants them to get this, but the next morning he's performed this miracle. He gets away in a boat to the other side of the lake. People get up the next morning, they're hungry. They realize they got a free meal from Jesus. So people get in a boat and go over to find Jesus. And they're like, hey, Jesus. What you doing today? You got any more of that food? And Jesus says to him, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus said, believe in me, I'll give you what you really need. Now, you're going to love this. Okay, listen. So they hear that and they say, hey, Jesus, how about another sign that you're, that you're who you say you were? And, and kind of let it be lunch like it was yesterday. And you know what they did? They started quoting scripture to Jesus. They quoted the word to the word. Boy, that, that's crazy. Now look what they said. They said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I'm just saying, Jesus. I mean, that's what you did in the Old Testament. You gave us food. And Jesus is hearing all this. And this is when he gives one of the greatest statements I think that Jesus ever made. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I don't know how Jesus stated. I don't know how it sounded when he said those six words, I am the bread of life. He could have said in capital letters, I am the bread of life. Since they were wanting food, he could have emphasized the middle word. I am the bread of life. Since he was wanting to, them to see what would really sustain them, he could have emphasized the last word and said, I am the bread of life. Life for this world and life for all eternity. What Jesus is saying is that even though you can't see it, I am what you're looking for. They came wanting something to eat. Jesus offers himself. But unfortunately, in verse 66, 
We learned that it wasn't enough because they said, the scripture says that many turned their backs and walked away from Jesus that day. They chose what God they would worship and clearly it wasn't Jesus. So what's more important for you this morning? Food for your stomach or food for your soul? The God of pleasure through food offers pleasure that we can taste. But listen to this. This is a huge point for this message today. God cannot and will not give us a lasting sense of pleasure apart from Him. Because it violates His purpose and our design. Psalms 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the food is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So let me ask you four questions this morning when it, in regards to food. Number one, do you eat more for pleasure or for nourishment? I'm definitely not saying this morning, please, I'm not saying that we, we don't eat for pleasure. That's part of it. The second question may help us to see a little bit more if the, food, if the God of food is on the throne of our hearts. The second question, when and why do you overindulge? Overindulge is the big word there. When do you overindulge in food and why do you do it? Is it because something else is going on in your life and you're using food for something that only God can do? Number three, would you be willing to try fast? If you're thinking this morning, okay, maybe this is me. Maybe I'm more addicted to some food than I realize. Maybe you just, and I'm not, guys, please hear me. I'm not talking about dieting and losing weight today. This is a spiritual issue. It's, it's when we put something in the place that only God can fill. And it's, it's easy to do because it's right there in the cabinet. But maybe we need to put some things aside and say, okay, I'm going to push aside all the carbs one week or I'm going to push aside all the sugar one week and just say, God, this is an area that's got more control over me than I have over it. And here's the last question. Is your problem the opposite problem? Are you so focused on health, food, and fitness that it has become a false God in your life? Either way, we're not allowing God to fill us in the place that He wants to fill us. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If we hunger and thirst for Him, we won't go hungry. We'll be filled up. Entertainment, food, are you ready? Here we go. Let's talk about sex. All right, let's close it out. Y'all ready? Sex is good. Sex is a gift from God. Sex is God's idea. Sex is designed to intimately connect us to a spouse. And sex done the right way can create a supernatural bond between a husband and a wife. Studies show, Christian and secular, that couples who have the, the best uh, intimacy in their marriage is one man and one woman for life. Secular studies show that. What that tells us is that the Word of God works. It tells us that what was, what was formulated in the very beginning in Genesis works. When God said to Adam and Eve, a man will leave his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two become one. Sex brings pleasure and intimacy. Of course, it produces children in God's plan. God could have made sex mechanical and simple and a joyless act of natural instinct. And just as we've seen with food, 
God God designed sex in a way that it doesn't just accomplish a purpose, but there is pleasure in it. But isn't it amazing how some of God's greatest gifts, the enemy can come and twist them into something that is hideous and they become destructive idols. All of God's gifts should point back to Him. The gift should really cause us to look to Him and to love and worship Him more deeply. But all too often the gifts wind up being His competition. Follow me with this story. A kid says to their parents, I want this new video game. He shows it to them in the store. He pulls it up on the phone and says, here's where you can buy it on Amazon. Parents see it's expensive. It's about $60, $70 for a new video game. They save some money. Maybe they give it to him for Christmas or his birthday or for doing well in school. But they know that this kid's going to light up when he gets this new video game. And parents, you love to give gifts to your kids that they love to receive, right? So parent goes and they get it. They're excited about giving it to the kid. They come and they give it to the kid. And the kid sees the game, opens it. They're excited. They're, they're fired up about it. They hug their parents, love them and thank them and run to their room. And the parents can hear them in there getting it out and playing it and enjoying it. And it brings joy to a parent's heart because, man, I got a gift right. They're enjoying it. But as the days go on... Takes a while for the kid to get off the video game to come down for supper or to do their homework. And mom usually says, you want to ride with me to the store? And they jump in and go. But now, no, mom, I'm I'm too busy doing this. And a couple weeks later, they come down and talk to mom and dad and say, hey, you know, there's these add-ons that I can get for the video game that will make it that much better. And if I get this controller that'll, that'll shake, it, it really works better because my, my buddy Bob, he's got that controller. And if, and if I get some new headphones, I can hear it in my ears and, and you won't even have to be bothered with my video game. What's happened in the story? The gift became more important than the giver. And this is what happens when we ask God to compete with His own blessings. See, sex is beautiful until it loses its spiritual content. I'm going to say that again. Sex is beautiful until it loses its spiritual content. God made it to fit into one, in, in one way. A man and a woman for life. That's it. And when we get outside of that, we, we find a broken system. It's easy to look around and see our nation is broken because we have abused this gift called sex. We have taken it and we have placed it at the center of our culture. At the center of our lives and our hearts. There's a story It is not a Sunday morning story. It's not a fun story to read, nor is it a fun story to tell. But in 2 Samuel chapter 13, there are two of David's children that illustrate this perfectly. There's one of his sons named Amnon, a prince of Israel. There's a daughter, a princess of Israel named Tamar. They both have the same father, but they have two different mothers. Again, we have a broken system when we get outside, even David, outside of one man and one woman for life. And in this story, the Scripture says 
that Amnon looked at his sister Tamar and he got eat up with craziness and love and passion for her so much, he became obsessed that he got sick. Obsession is not a good word. It's an idolatry word, as a matter of fact. Amnon was constantly thinking and focusing on one thing in his mind, one possibility, and he allowed it, he allowed that fantasy to fill him up so much that he became sick with lust. He became so sick that his friends saw it. And one of his friends saw him one day, and he said, Amnon, what's wrong with you? Why, why are you so messed up? Why are you so sick? And he said, man, I'm eat up with love. I can't think about anything but Tamar, and she's on my mind all the time. I've got to be with her. And he said, well, look. It's easy as this, man. Why don't you just pretend that you're sick one day? Go in your room. Call your dad, David. Tell him you want Tamar to bring you something to eat. She's a good cook. She'll bring the food in. You'll tell her what you're interested in. And man, you're going to have exactly what you want. So he puts the story in play. He calls David. He says he's sick. He says he wants Tamar to bring him some food. Tamar comes in with all of her people. They come into his room. They begin to cook and make some bread as they're cooking. Amnon says, everybody else can leave the room but Tamar. And then he says, hey Tamar, I'm so sick I can't even get out of the bed. Come over here and bring that right here so I can have some. And as she brings the food over, he grabs hold of her and he tells her, I'm crazy about you. I want to be with you. I'm eat up. I've got to have you. And she says, look, let's not do this. I'm a virgin. I, I, I don't want to go this way. I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. Just maybe ask dad. Dad would probably just let, you ha- let me have, be with you as your wife. Just ask him. But the scripture says, in 2 Samuel 13, 14, he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than her, he raped her. Awful, awful story. Tamar leaves the room. She puts ashes on her head. She rips the ornate princess robe that she wears. And Amnon's sexual sin brings incredible destruction and devastation upon the nation and the family. You read it in the chapters after. It, it just began a, 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 a domino effect in the kingdom. And where did it all begin? It began with idolatry. It began when he put a thought in his mind that started with Wow, my sister Tamar is a beautiful girl. And it kept going farther and farther and farther and farther. And it began to eat him up. It became his obsession. He couldn't think about anything else. And you hear that story this morning on a Sunday morning. And you think, boy, I would never do anything like that. That's awful, boy. That's, that's hideous. I would never imagine doing anything. But you know what? The God of sex specializes in taking you further than you ever thought you would go. We all know people that we look up to and we respected. And they lost everything that they had. Their family, their ministry, their integrity. Because it started with one thought. And they kept going past all the roadblocks. They were eat up with it. And they finally couldn't do anything else but give in to what they had put at the center of their soul. And here's what happened with Amnon. When the story was over, look at this verse. It it just, it blows your mind because it says in 2 Samuel 13, 15, when it was all over, he hated her more than he loved her. Had he ever loved her? No, he truly had not loved her. He lusted after her. But his hatred got so much in that moment that he hated her and he told everybody, just leave the room, lock the door behind you, I just want to be with myself. And that's what pleasure outside of what God has for us will do to us. 
So I want to ask you this morning, has your pursuit of pleasure in this area become an obsession for you? Is it the last thing you think about when you go to bed at night and the first thing you think about in the morning? Do you daydream about it at work? Spend money on it? Risk your career? Risk your marriage for it? Is it what you fight about the most in your marriage? Has this God of pleasure placed a distance between you and God and and it's getting further and further and further for you to be able to sense and feel and know the presence of God because you've put this on the throne of your life. See, when something good becomes a God, pleasure dies in the process. Pleasure has this unique trait. The more intensely you chase it, the less likely you are to grab hold of it. And the God of sexual pleasure promises you incredible satisfaction. You can read the magazines. You can go to the websites. You can go a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further with your boyfriend and your girlfriend to grab that moment that you think that's going to be the moment of it all. But what happens? The God delivers the opposite of what He promised. That's what happened with Tamar and Amnon. He was, Amnon had it, he had the moment playing out as a beautiful love story movie and it wrecked his life, it wrecked his mind, it wrecked his soul, it wrecked the kingdom, it wrecked her. Sex outside of the way God intended it is like watching a, a 25 car pile up on the interstate. It is a wreck. It is broken. It's awful. And this story just, it's this kind of story you hear and it just makes you sick to your stomach. And instead of closeness and intimacy, you experience a strange sense of something that feels like loneliness. And when the gift replaces the giver as the object of worship, something surprisingly happens. When we begin to worship this God of pleasure instead of the God who gave it to us, we, we discover that pleasure is lost. Pleasure disappears in what we think was going to be the greatest thing ever. So what's the answer? We've already found it in this series in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If Amnon would have been guarding his heart, this event would not have flowed from it. If you are in a battle today with the God of sex in your life, And it's not just for 19-year-old boys. Any one of us in the room could be in that battle. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. One more thing that Paul tells us we can do in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. That first thought that comes, you got to take it. And you got to say, you know what? My life is here to please and honor God. So that thought comes about something else that you see and something else that your mind can run down. When that thought comes, you stop it right there. That's the only way you can have victory over the sin in your life that might be coming from the God of sex. Worship is powerful. Worship has huge consequences. And if you worship God, it creates a ripple effect that goes all throughout eternity. But if you use, if you, if you, um, choose to worship these gods, it has a different ripple effect. It brings a little bit of hell actually to earth and in your life. 
But when we worship God in this area in our lives, we experience what we wanted all along. Deep, lasting, intimate pleasure. But when we turn the gift of sex into a God, it's only a matter of time before it breaks and it stops doing what it was designed to do. When the gift causes us to worship the giver, we discover that the giver gives us his gifts all the more abundantly. Three questions to finish up this part. We're almost finished. How well do you control your thought life? Are you, have you given up in this area? Do you even try? If you don't pull that in, it's extremely likely that something's going to happen. That's how the enemy works. Number two, what sites do you visit on the internet when you're by yourself? Again, it's not just a teenager thing. I know it's a teenager thing. It's not just a guy thing. It's men, women, boys, girls. What are you looking at when you're by yourself? On your internet, on the phone, on an app? How many times do you have to go and clear your search history because you're afraid somebody might come back and see what you've been looking at? These are tough questions to ask, but they're the type of questions we need to ask to say, maybe I've got this God sitting at the throne of my heart. Here's really the, the, the question that kind of brings it all together. What is lacking in your intimacy with God Because if there's something lacking in your intimacy with God, then maybe that's why we're trying to fill it. And that goes for all of these uh, guys. It goes for sex and for food and entertainment. When we're lacking something in our intimacy with God, we try to put these things in its place. So let me finish this morning by saying again some of the statements I've made this morning, okay? Everybody sit up, pull back in for like two more minutes, okay? Y'all are doing a great job staying engaged this morning. I'm talking really fast and it's really long. But here we go. The gods of pleasure, we said it, they often begin as good gifts. Turn them around, looks like a pretty package, doesn't it? They begin as good gifts from God. Food, entertainment, sex, they're not sinful. They're good things that God gave us out of His love. The problem becomes when we try to replace the gift replaces the giver as the object of our worship. And when the gift replaces the giver, we lose the pleasure that we're after. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Let's stand this morning. Ask the worship team to come. And I'm going to ask all of you to follow them and uh, join us here in the altar. And I want us to close together in prayer. So if you would, all of us come together this morning. Come on up close. Come on up close. Got a lot of full house today, so I need everybody to come as close as you can.
Over these five weeks in this series, we've, um, we've talked about a number of things. A number of gods that are battling to sit on the throne of our hearts. I told you in the first week that this series is a little bit different because it's not really one of those where we come together and we pray for each other. It's really one of those me and God series. Remember the first week I stood right here and I said, I can't get me and my house right until I get me and God right. Remember that from the first week? Okay, that's where we started. Remember the second week when we said what we said this morning, above all else... Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And remember we talked about that you can't go and clean out that one spot in the stream unless you go to the source. You remember that? Remember the third week we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar. And we said he had the God of me on the throne. And it was only until he reached that point and he raised his eyes toward heaven. And what happened? His sanity was restored. Remember that? That that was the moment. That everything changed. Remember last week we talked about the God of romance. And we said that everything changed for Leah when she looked at that child and she said, This time I will worship the Lord. And this morning, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life, this life, the next life. Everything we're talking about today, every battle that we're facing, guys, it it, it really comes down to one thing. It comes down to who's sitting on the throne. And what we've tried to communicate throughout this series is that there's only one who can sit there. It's not a love seat. You don't get to share it. There's only one who can sit there. I can come to church every Sunday, sing, pay my tithes, serve, but still have something else sitting on the throne. It's not just about how I look and I got it all together. I am the bread of life. I read that, I was reading that this week, and I'm like, boy, that, that's good. I wrap my heart and my spirit around that, and it says to me, What it says to all of you that everything you need is found in Jesus. That's it. We don't have to make it complicated. It's all in a personal relationship with Him. And anything that we try to add to that, it it can become another God on our heart. Now I'm preaching another sermon. But it's all about Him. We've got to put Him at the center of it all. That's it. Jesus. And I can trust that if I give it to Him, He knows what He's doing. Because I said this morning, He put this on. He walked in your shoes and your skin, experienced your hunger, your temptation, your battles. In all ways, He was tested so that He might be the perfect sacrifice for us. So you can trust today that whatever you're battling with today, whatever's going on in your heart, you can trust Him to put Him in the center and submit it all to Him. Above all else, guard your heart. That's our verse for this series. 
We're going to sing this song this morning and then pray. And as we sing this little chorus, I, I want us to sing it as just as a prayer over our lives today. Jesus, Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, say that again, Jesus be, Jesus be at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Gee, nothing else, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will You're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus. Let's sing, Jesus be the center of my life. Say it and sing it. Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my life from beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus nothing else nothing else matters here's what we're going to do we're going to pray and you're going to make this prayer personal in this gap right here I, I cannot pray what you need to pray whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today that is yours That's, I've got mine on my plate whatever's on your plate today that you need to pray about they're going to play that I want the band to play no singing and as we're playing here's what we're going to do as you pray in your prayers look at me this is what we're going to do as we pray. As you pray, whatever is your thing, if it's food, entertainment, sex, if it's me, if it's something else, the only way it happens is giving it to Him. And as you pray, here's what happens. You take it off the throne. And you say, God, I'm choosing to take, this has been sitting on the throne of my life. I confess that, I repent that today, and I ask you to come back and sit. Does that, is that as clear, that's as clear as I can be for how we need to end today. It's balls in your court. Let's pray. Lord, God, I just pray over your people today.
God, reveal to their hearts today, Lord, those areas, God, in their lives that they need to take off the throne and put you in its place. Let them know today, God, that they can trust you, that you are faithful. God, that you are the bread, that you are their life. All pleasure comes from you. God, those who are here today and they're not experienced the intimacy with you that they need, that they would search for in something else. God, I pray they would find that in you today. God, we remove the gods of pleasure from our hearts today. God, areas of sex and food, entertainment and me, romance and love, things that we place before you today, God, we take those off the altar today we confess our sins of putting things before you and we confess today God that you are our everything God help us to put you at the center everything else to revolve around you God as we do that God we pray that you would give us freedom grant us freedom over every temptation over every bondage may chains begin to break in this place right now God, as we confess our sins, as we speak those things to you, God, may chains and things that have held us to the altar of ourselves and our own throne in our lives, God, be broken. God, thank you that you're able to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Center of your church, let's say it. Jesus, be the center of your church. Jesus, be the center of your church. And every knee, and every knee will bow, and every tongue shall confess you, Jesus. Jesus. Say it again, Jesus. Nothing else, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the time. Jesus, you, nothing else, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the At the center of it all. Jesus, we leave this place today. I pray, God, having heard your word, and I pray it will find deep root in our hearts. God, we will walk out of this place, God, knowing that whatever is in our lives today, we can trust you. That when we put you at the center, that God, you have designed it to be that way. That through that, God, you will bring us the ultimate love and pleasure 
strength and assurance of your presence. And we praise you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being in worship today. Again, if you want these notes, they're on that table in the back. We'll see you next Sunday morning outside at 10 o'clock. Have a great week. God bless you.